to Pop the Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannonia Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. I am here with Kira Santos, gal about town, a good egg, and a comedy major here at Drexel University, and a former co-op for the Smart Set, Pannoni Honors College's cultural and literary magazine. I'm so excited to talk to you, Kira. Yay! Excited <laughs> to be here. And we're here to talk about HBO's Euphoria, which is a teen drama that focuses on teens doing drugs, sex fights, all of the feelings. And it has really had a foothold over the culture. I mean, despite all the trauma, it's also weirdly very bingeable. It is a very bingeable show. I think I watched the first four episodes in one sitting and I was like, I need more. I need to be constantly stimulated. (laughs) So if you had to describe Euphoria, what is your synopsis in general? (laughs) Okay, so it's about a bunch of teenagers who just get into the craziest aspects of what teenage rebellion can be. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of alcohol. And just take that and amplify it by ten. Tequila makes me aggressive. Tequila makes me want to dance. I once took like ten Vicodin and drank an entire thing of tequila, and then I like blacked out for three days. But while I was blacked out, I like still went to school and did homework. Let's not do that tonight. I I won't. I'm I'm clean, so we're good. I would say that it is something that is trying to break the next frontier in culture, trying to be like a trendsetter. I don't necessarily agree with it being a trendsetter. Um, I have a lot of opinions about that too. (laughs) Yeah. Because I was just telling somebody like, yeah, I haven't watched it, but I'm like intrigued by it based off of all the discourse, which is actually like all the gossip about it. I want to see what the big deal is. What are the teens up to? (laughs) Yeah. Are these really teens? Is this realistic to teens? I just think that I like the show. It's definitely bingeable. But sometimes I have to laugh and kind of like scoff at it because I'm like, this isn't really the most realistic depiction. Here's the thing that I thought about a lot. There's a scene in Euphoria where Rue's sister is in her room watching episodes of My So-Called Life. Somewhere in those few seconds, I knew my life would never be the same. I knew then that the rumor was right. Not in actuality, but in my heart, because at that moment, I would have done anything. I wanted him so much. Look, I didn't say anything about, you know, I know. I just wanted you to know that. Thank you. What 13, 14 year old is like, (laughs) I'm watching my soul called life. You know, a teen drama from the early nineties that was highly popular. To me, it was less about that being realistic and more about showing the work that this was hearkening back to the legacy of shows. 
for the audience of my generation of geriatric millennials <laughs> and maybe even Generation X, it taps into all of the shows that were along this framework. So 90210, Degrassi and Skins and like The OC is another show, Gossip Girl. Those two are shows that focus on very like elite privileged teens. It's not necessarily for us in the sense of like watching teenagers do stuff, but I do think it's for us in the sense that it is part of this genealogy of teen shows. And then two, it's all from Rue's perspective played by Zendaya. Right. who is narrating the entire show. Mm-hmm. I find her incredible to watch in Euphoria. Like I think she has demonstrated herself as somebody who will like continually grow as an actress. Yes. Season two, episode five, when we see her lose the drug money, that whole episode really of just trying to get drugs again, trying to make up for the money. Like that was Wow. Where did you put it? Where'd you put my pills, mom? Where did you put it? I'm calling the police. No, you can't. You can't do that. Get out. Get out. What did you do? You want to tell me to stop doing drugs? And I know she also got a lot of criticism because it's just like she's taking on roles like Spider-Man in Euphoria. Mm -hmm. And then you take on Malcolm and Marie and Malcolm Marie was like a grown woman. I think that there's always a massive transition with those who started on Disney to be like, I'm not a child. Right. Zendaya is in her mid twenties. And so I think that doing Euphoria is a major disruption to like, I am not a part of this world anymore. Sunday, what was it like going from Disney onto this? Please tell me you were not in here for this. Oh my God. I think one of the interesting things that they do narratively is every character gets their own episode. And through Rue, we understand who these characters are, but also her own struggle with sobriety as somebody who is addicted to opiates. Right. So there are a lot of episodes that surround her either getting clean or not being clean or kind of when will she hit rock bottom and kind of going back and forth with like sobriety and addiction. Open the door. I can't do it. Open the door. Open the door. Open the door. You did this to me. You did this to me, Beth. I'm sorry. Ah! You did this to me! The one character I really love and I have no criticism about is Coleman Domingo's character. He's like the mentor to um, Rue. I show the first special episode is with Zendaya and him and they just simply are talking in a diner and he's just like I see so much of you Rue within myself I really just want the best for you he really acted so well in season one season two in the special episode now we're talking now you're being real now you're being honest you feel me Sam Levinson actually was an addict and so I think that's probably the most kind of real it feels in terms of the anger and the feeling and all that stuff. But I mean, so much of it is the same. It's Degrassi. It's a lot of people feeling things beyond their 
their stuff. I feel like Sam Levinson does not write his characters with any type of redemption arc except Zendaya. And even Zendaya's just got like a little bit of a redemption arc within like the last two episodes or so. There's also no memory between the first and second season. Not Like Cassie, her abortion is framed in such a way that it is very traumatic for her. And season two starts, it is done. Yeah. You want to talk about it? So here we are, we're talking about it, but I say we don't do it. I'm not saying I'm going to have a baby. I just wanted to dream about it for a minute. To me, it's such a short-sighted approach to like how human beings operate, especially with her family stuff and the kind of abandonment of her father, specifically this relationship with McKay and dreaming of a family life and not being able to have it. And then there's also these traumas that are not acknowledged along the way that I feel like, brah, like what was going on between (laughs) season one and season two? Like nobody remembers anything. They're just framed as like a couple of weeks or a couple of months away. Sam Levinson is 80% there in his writing of these characters. I think Sam Levison needs to be criticized more and more publicly. <laughs> like, if you ask me, what is the theme of Euphoria? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't do drugs, but like, also, this still is glorified in a way. Like, I think about the scene of them at the carnival. Mm. I don't know if they were doing Molly. They were doing something. Yeah. And they're just like having a good time. Their makeup is beautiful. They're wearing like clothes are like not seen on teenagers and everybody's looking at them and it's just like oh I would totally love to be in like that euphoric state of I'm so hot and I'm just enjoying my life and my time here at the carnival and then they contrast it to Rue struggling <laughs> you don't believe me but I'm, I'm doing really good actually you show yeah I feel like I've found this like amazing balance where I'm like happy and healthy and I'm not like looking to anybody else for that happiness you know It's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to PopQuestPod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at PopQ Podcast, or you can get us directly at PopQ at Drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. Where'd you go? I was starting to miss you. Why would I lie? Like the coolest person in here. I have two things. One, I was like just thinking about how we were describing this show, and it was like, yeah, and then so and so's boyfriend gets with this person, and then there's like an abortion, and then this person is like this. And it just reminds me of how one talks about a soap opera, which this very much is. This is a soap opera with just better lighting. (laughs) And this has, I think, a little bit more cinematic acting style. Although like if season three includes an alien abduction, I wouldn't be surprised.
And then the other thing is that I would say there's so much grief with these characters, but also like longing to be taken care of. There's a lot of dad stuff. So maybe Sam Levinson needs to work through some stuff with Barry. (laughs) They all have dad stuff. They all are grieving in a lot of ways and are exercising that grief in ways that gets them into trouble because that grief is like, well, how do I fill that space? Mm -hmm. And everybody is trying to fill that space differently. That is actually one of my bigger frustrations with the show was that they built up to these grand moments where you're like, what is going to happen next? This is crazy. And then when you actually see it all act out, you're like, oh, this was not major, apparently. The episode with Rue in season two, episode five, and she's stealing. She's like causing wreckages in traffic. The police are looking for her. And then the next episode is, oh, well, she's like watching TV with her sister. And like, everything's fine and dandy. And I'm just like, is she not going to go to like juvie or anything? Same thing with that episode of Ashtray, quote unquote, dies. But we don't know. Cassie and Maddie finally have their fight. And it was like, not even a fight. (laughs) That's the theme of Euphoria. Poor writing. (laughs) Why do we need any more Euphoria except HBO wanting to like ride this train out? Yeah. And I think maybe they have one more season left Mm -hmm. where it could compel them. But I feel like you could end on season two and it would be totally wonderful. Yeah. I mean, if I had to like rate season two, I would give it like a four out of 10. Wow. Yeah. That's so low. <laughs> I just think there was just too many plot holes. It wasn't really engaging. I think season one, I would give it an eight out of 10, mm-hmm. but season four just really lacked. I wanted to see more of Kat. Elliot's character made no sense. I don't know why he was put in that. Him singing for five minutes in the finale was unnecessary. <laughs> I don't think that there needs to be a season three. And all my friends were like, well, season two of any show is like really hard because it's like you have to develop the characters. I was like, yeah, that's like what you do as a writer. <laughs> this is your job. <laughs> yeah, I feel like for me, I would rate season two higher than you for sure. <laughs> Here's the thing, Kira, I love mess. And season <laughs> two, every episode, there was a lot of mess. And so it provided me doses of drama yeah. that just kept my heart pounding. As soon as I kind of let go of the dream that there would be a through line narrative. And I was like, that's not this show. This Mm -mm. is not a show where we're going to get complex characters. This is not a show where we're going to get like a really nice, complex, meaty narrative. I'm going to let that dream die. And I'm just going to be here for the crying, for the screaming and for the potential fighting. I was there for the learning experience. (laughs) You were there. Yeah. And I was just like, (laughs) you two were broken up for three weeks and three days before we even had sex. So I didn't betray you. Plus you guys are terrible for each other and you know I'm right. And you guys can all judge me if you want, but I do not care. I have never, ever been happier. But she didn't say that. In fact, it was much weirder. She just stared straight ahead like she's doing now and didn't say a word. I would definitely do higher of like a seven, like average. It was a C. There were there were just points in every episode where I was like, this is a really great scene. Yes. This scene is really great. The context, kind of a bummer. But this 
seen is so good and I am interested in continuing. So it was just like a little dose every episode. I look at it like an album and you're like, oh, I really like this one song or I like this one bridge. That's how I felt about Euphoria. Like I was like, oh, I really liked this episode or I really liked this scene or I liked this line. I liked how Sydney Sweeney was acting in this one episode, but I'm not listening to this whole album full through, no skips. Like I'm not going to like put it on my wall or anything. Like it was just definitely something that's just like you listen to a couple songs and then like in a month or two, you're like, oh yeah, I remember when I really liked that one song. No, I think that's a good comparison though of like, I don't need to rewatch. No, I would rewatch season one though. If you could design season three, what are like two or three things that you would like to see? If I want it to be groundbreaking, I want it to be a cultural reset. I want it to be like everything that I wanted from season one and more. I think that would be achieved by really letting go of historical systemic ideas in terms of let's get rid of the male gaze. Let's actually focus on like things that are taboo. I don't want another glee. I don't want another my so-called life. I want something that's so out of the box. It's like, I don't really care about the drama and the mess, even though I know people, as you said, live for it. What's the point of watching? (laughs) You're describing the view. I think there could still be a good balance because it's like when you do deal with these things, they're still eventful and you can still do them very well on screen. I think of moonlight a lot of the time. Like there's just like ways that you can show that these things of healing can still be binge worthy, that you still want to eat up. Let your head rest in my hand. Relax. I got you. I promise. I'm not going to let you go. Hey, man, I got you. There you go. Ten seconds. That right there. You're in the middle of the world, I was like at the edge of my seat watching Moonlight and I'd watch it again. And also Barry Jenkins is a masterful filmmaker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so maybe Barry Jenkins needs to like put some consultation into Euphoria. <laughs> Just give Barry Jenkins his own teen drama. Yeah, that's actually a way better resolution. Let's get that campaign going. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it trending on Twitter. And even though it's Sam Levinson's show, I would like Sam Levinson to not spearhead the writing. I want him to have very little input in the writer's room. (laughs) And I think that's what will make season three incredible. You know what sounds nice? Sam Levinson presents. (laughs) It's got such a beautiful ring to it. Yeah, uh, that would be nice. But it's Zendaya's show at the end of the day. Oh, there's yeah, there's no way. None. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kira, thanks for walking me through this mess. Of course. Even though you don't want the mess. (laughs) Yeah. When season three comes out, we should talk about it some more. One thousand percent. I'm in. (laughs) The question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Kantorik with additional audio production by Noah Levine. 
All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Morantz-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. What are we talking about? Practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice. We're talking about practice, man.